it's Sabrina Hahn and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA who make very high grade premium calcium bentonite clay which is 100% West Australian owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentonitewa.com.au. Well, dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're back, Sab. We are. We're still upright and alive. Yeah, good a, to. It's a damn good state to be in. It's I an achievement. <laughs> Go Get us. Uh, I've got to say, so we record this podcast at your house. Yes. Saw your bathroom for the first time today. Did you like it? I did. (laughs) I I have to let all our listeners know that I didn't actually invite you in there. It wasn't like a... We weren't in there together. Hey, Jamie, do you want to come in my bathroom? No, it was, I said, need to have a wee. Yep. Can I use your bathroom? And you said it was, but I really like it. Very open. Mm. Uh, The shower, no screen. No screen. I designed that garden and because I've lived in... uh, Sorry. (laughs) Whoops. You designed the garden too. <laughs> I did design the garden. Yeah. Well, you know, I usually pee out in that, but no, wow. just joking. Good um, for the soil? <laughs> you know, you can do that. What is that anyway, thing they say about trees that if you wee on them? Uh, is that an old wives' tale? Well, or is that legit? sort of. I mean, basically, you're just putting nitrogen on oh. the garden, yep. really. Um, I wouldn't pee on the one plant all the time. I'd share your favours around and okay. go to different plants. Okay. Pee on all your plants. There we go. Um, but the bathroom I designed because, number one, I hate house cleaning, like with a vengeance. Number two, I hate cleaning bathrooms even more. Worse. That have the glass thing. Yeah. Why do you need that? It's it's annoying to clean. My, my pet peeve is people who have those screens and they put the... Uh, what is it called? The, oh, the squidgy, the squidgy in there, and they say yeah. when you have a shower at their house, oh. can you just squidgy it after? Oh. Else, here to have a shower, not <laughs> clean your house. <laughs> Kills me. It's very unreasonable. I agree. Yeah. So I've got what is called a wet room. Right. So basically, I've got a shower head where you could fit. Because when I was d- designing it, when the builder was here, yeah. I said I want a bathroom that I can fit six people in with me when I have a shower. And he looked at me and he went, "Right, well, I have to admit, He's like, I've I got, got four mates." <laughs> I haven't heard that one before, but fair enough. And you could, oh. I could fit six people in that shower. You could, yeah. That's, that's got me. That has. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, I like it. It's lovely. I fitted the dog in though. Oh, that's important. Yeah, yeah. So I have had, well, she's equivalent to one person sort of. Yeah. With their head cut off. But but the thing about a wet room, Jamie, even better still, Uh is none of this mopping stuff. No. Oh, no, no. Just straight to the grate. Yeah, I go. Yeah, it goes all down that bloody great big grate I've got there. It's like a storm drain. See, I thought that was a urinal. You could use it. You could, I you did. know, no, as joking. the pee hits the rungs, you yep. could play a little tune. You go. That's, <laughs> now, that's a talent. That's a talent. Blokes do that off the urinal tray. They just try and find oh, different spots oh. and they harmonise with the bloke that's in there with oh, them. Oh, wow. Yeah, a little secret of the men's locker room. Oh, I'll have to listen to you the next time you go in there. That's it. Yeah, just. <laughs> you notice I said listen, not look. Yes, I did pick up on that. 
But um, what I do is I clean the bathroom with a high-pressure hose. Okay. I just go in there and squirt all the walls, not the ceiling because be silly. Know, yeah. Lights and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but all the walls, all the floor, smicko, the toilet, the whole lot. Love it. Well, I'm a big fan. <laughs> you can you can pee in my bathroom anytime you Thank like. Thank you. I'm just drinking as much water as I can today, <laughs> just so I get to see it again. <laughs> it's a great design. It, it is. I love it. You've given me some uh, some bathroom inspo. We're going to do well, a, ba- a bathroom podcast next oh, week. We, oh, we could because yeah. we have a little bit of an echo. Mm-hmm. We could flush the toilet so there's, you know, those bathroom sounds. We could still call it Dirty Deeds too. Oh, oh we could. The name still fits. Yeah. Yep. We could all go in there. Yeah. I don't know about the electronic equipment. Might not work. No. In the wet area. Anyway. But I'm pleased you're impressed with it. No worries. Just thought I'd let you know. It took me a lot of thought, the design for that. Yeah. Next week, I'll bring up. Um, a design feature of another part of your house. We'll move into the kitchen. So stay tuned next week on Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. Well, we do. So we're going to go from water to fire. Okay. We'll play with all the elements over the, you know, over the next year or so. I like what you did there. Mm, a little segue. Yeah. Um, so we've brought, well, we've brought a little fire expert with us. Um, well, he's not little, actually. He's, he's quite... Taller than me. Yeah, he is. He's, he's a big, strong fella yeah, too. Yeah, looks strong. Clooney yeah. little eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looks just like George Clooney. Uh, so he so tells us. So we've got Rowan Carboon, who's um, a fire expert and a consultant. And, well, you know, the weather's getting a bit warmer. We're sort of heading towards summer. Uh, well, in, if you live in Western Australia, you've probably had a little taste of it. Um, but, well, you know, when we get into warm weather, Rowan... Uh, if you're out in the bush or have a bush block or even if you want to kill your weeds, you think of fire. You do, don't you, Sab? Mm. I, I noticed uh, your dog was outside enjoying the sun yep. earlier there and yep. inside enjoying the aircon at the <laughs> moment. <laughs> she only enjoys the sun very briefly and then comes inside and chills it's out. must be, what, our fifth day over 35 or something in a row? It's hot. Yeah, mid-November-ish. Does yep. it start to make you a little nervous when it's November and you're seeing a cluster well, of 35 pluses? You know, you, you get a reminder that when you're fighting fires, it's usually on the hottest days mm. possible. So it's not, a, it's not comfortable thing <laughs> to do. It's about as uncomfortable as you can get. And uh, you don't have the joy of wearing the stubby shorts and the terry-tailing <laughs> hat with the hose on the, on the tin roof. You've got to put on the heavy gear. Gets a little sweaty in and, there, I and, imagine. Uh, and Actually, go out, I've, but I've often thought about that. All that gear is really heavy as well, as thick. It is. Um, deliberately, just to yeah, protect well. your skin from radiant heat. <laughs> <laughs> not, not someone's bad joke. <laughs> hey, we'll say this is the right, you know, safety uh, reasons. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, I don't think they're warm enough. Let's put a little <laughs> bit more fleece on that, shall we? Um, so... Um, yeah, I was just we were talking a little bit earlier on about you know people buy bush blocks or move into the country because yeah, yep. they absolutely love it and they love all the native trees, all the plants, all the you know the all the bird life yeah. that's around. So, uh, what what can people do? So they buy a place because they love the bush. And then regulations may kick in where they're told then they have to cut down all the trees mm, that are near the mm. house or, or worse still, clear the whole lot. Uh, it's, it's not a easy um, – there's contradictions there, aren't there? Mm. So we move into the, into the Aussie bush because we love it and that's why I li- live up in the bush and always have. But um, how do you make yourself safe enough – 
safe enough, I think. So probably the first sort of disclaimer, when you talk about fire risk, this, this is not... It's not black and white. It's not a binary issue. You're not either safe or not safe. If, if you want to live anywhere in most areas of the Australian bush, you've got to expect some level of risk. Mm. And maybe the challenge really is for the community to to work out what their level of risk is. Now, um, so what type of fire they could expect to experience at their place and work around strategies that work for their family with that type of risk. So, um, you know, I, I think by ignoring the risk, we, <laughs> we, we don't solve problems. No. By flattening all of, all of the bush, we don't solve problems. We, 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 that's just a, a bad response as well. So in the, in the middle, there is, there is space to understand if, if I do this, if I mow my grass, if I do some slashing, do some cool burning in the bush areas from, from time to time, um, on what aspect of the house, then the downslope side, for example, is usually more risky because fire travels faster up hills. But it's, so it's sort of understanding a bit about your environment, I think. Mm. And that's where we struggle because if you move from you know, a, a, a city block up into the bush, maybe you don't have much of a much of a uh, head start in that area. Do you think that's that goes generally for for us uh, after you know two hundred years of white settlement? Yeah. We still don't quite yeah. have a have yeah. a hold on how this how this country no. works. We we maybe uh, yeah I, I I agree with that idea that we're still often sometimes you know. With our European heritage, we still look upon the Australian landscape from that perspective, and it doesn't help. It doesn't help. I know um, working and living in remote areas, which I've done a little bit of in Aboriginal communities, then there's a completely different cultural perspective of fire, completely different, and uh, I wouldn't wouldn't uh, understand 10% of it. But what I've seen with um, you know traditional owners out on country burning, there's there's really there's no fear of mm. fire. There's just complete um, confidence and comfort and sort of control in a way. They they they're managing the landscape using fire. And uh, maybe us on the urban interface tend to be I don't know, sort of not understanding it, fearing it. Um, and every summer when we get weather like we've had building up to this summer, it's uh, it, it's. It, you know, people respond differently. They mm. they cut everything down or they do nothing because it's just too big a problem. Where yeah. does the the balance of responsibility lie? If you're someone that's had the bush change and you've you've gone out after years of living in the city to, you know, seek a little bit of space and yeah. get amongst nature, where does that responsibility yeah. lie yeah. between what you do yeah. and yeah. say what council and government do yeah. in terms of fire control? Yeah, it's. It's a great question because there's always a lot of finger pointing after a big fire on who didn't hold up their their end of the bargain. And the government have that slogan of shared responsibility, which is a nice, easy thing to say. And that's really what you're asking. How do we share the responsibility? Um, so, you know, every private landowner has has responsibility on their block to, to do certain things. Um, it's usually stipulated in a local fire break notice That'd be a statutory responsibility, which would be if your block's big enough to have a perimeter fire break for firefighter access, mainly around the perimeter of your lot, 
And as they get a bit more sophisticated, the fire break notices, they do talk about the asset protection zone around your house. So managing fuel loads for the, the average distance is sort of 20 metres, a government standard. But um, so using that, and of course that's sort of your garden, isn't it? It's yeah, the, it's yeah, the yeah. immediate environment around your house. Yeah. So, so the garden plays yeah. a... a a focal it's it's really a, a vital part of the whole fire safety Absolutely. around the home um so can you explain because a lot of people w- may not know what fuel load means yeah yeah so um just getting back to the the importance of of the plants around your house if we sort of just think of plants as f- potential fuel for a fire so um and we break that down into two components, uh, in a way, fine fuels or kindling. If you look at your garden, you characterise parts of your plants as kindling and the heavier, thicker branches, you know, a centimetre and bigger as heavier fuels. It's the, it's the distribution of those fine fuels in your garden which will determine the fire behaviour right next to your house. So, and this is even before we think about you know, individual species and moisture content of plants and volatile oils. The first fundamental thing to do is just look at your garden and think about fine fuels. How are the fine fuels distributed? Because we've all stood around a, a mate's bonfire, haven't we, in years gone by, and yeah. someone, the young kid, or uh, it was probably me when I was younger, you know, <laughs> would go run out the back and grab the old dry big eucalypt head and yeah. chuck it in, just goes woof. Yeah. So that's them fine fuels just burning instantly and releasing incredible amount of energy for a very short period of time. But that that's the dangerous bit of a fire. Burns quickly, releases heaps of energy, life-threatening if you're near it. So the plants in the garden, you know, you, you can if you understand where those fine fuels are distributed, you can start to change the fire behaviour near your house. Yep. And your house, another way to think about your house is if you're trapped if you're up a dead end road or if you've left it too late to drive away from a fire your house is actually your fallback option it's actually your your bunker in a way you say it's it's plan b because the house has thick walls and it can protect you for that 10 15 20 minute period when the radiant heat outside will kill you mm-hmm. so that that when you think of your house as a potential safety zone that's another way that you know might motivate people to go. Well, let's look at the distribution of kindling yeah. a- around my home. Yep. Um, yep. So, yeah, it's fundamentally important. The, the whether your house burns down or survives is determined by the standard of construction it's made from, but it's also determined by the fire behaviour around your house, and and the last twenty metres in your garden will determine what that fire behaviour is like. Mm-hmm. So it's. Uh, it's crucial. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so. <coughs> is there, there's obviously been a little bit of research over the years done on um, fire behaviour when it when it comes through and different types of fire as, as well. So, what would be just some key things that you think would be good to either include or omit from... The landscape around your house. I mean, I've yep. got views, yep. but yep. but you're the one that understands the behaviour of the fire, and that's actually really important. Yep. So, um, step step one is um, um, 
understand what em embers are responsible for burning down most homes. So how does our garden work or not work with ember attack from a fire? So the first couple of metres, the immediate couple of metres around your house are the most crucial because embers will come out of the bushland. We've, we've seen the images on the news of, you know, even, even just this week in uh, Queensland, New South Wales, of ember attack. And so they all hit your house and they land in the gutter and they land on the doormat and the deck and the dog kennel and the wood mm. pile. So they're all accumulating around the house, on the roof, or if your house is elevated, underneath. So in terms of the building, if you can make your house ember-proof, so if you can sort of seal your house's gaps, right. you can stop embers getting in, but they will still accumulate around your house. So if you can ensure just in that immediate couple of metres around your house, you do not have those fine fuels, fine dead dry fuels. Now, a good way to sort of determine where them problems are is to walk around your house on any day after some wind and just look for where the leaves have accumulated. The wind has just blown leaves into the corners, you know, obviously the gutters yeah, on the roof if you've got eucalypt trees around the home. So in a way that's, that's that nice dry fine fuel that mm. the embers will ignite. So the bushfire might be 100 metres away, 400 metres yeah. away. The embers have come and they've found those little bits of kindling around your house and they've gone, oh, let's have a little fire here, let's have a... So that, that would be number one, ember and that first couple of metres. The, the next step or the next stage out from your house would, would also be the connectivity of fine fuels. So if you imagine an aerial perspective of your property, your house is in the middle, think of having garden beds and, or, and vegetation designed um, perpendicular to the fire run direction towards your house. So I hope that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so not, a, not a continuous line of vegetation up to your house, break it up. Mm. Break it up horizontally and vertically. So this is sort of that, the strategy of un under pruning trees and shrubs, maybe strategically removing some trees and shrubs to, to create these spaces. So is if, you know, plants, some plants will burn in your garden, even if you do this really well, but it won't be a big continuous flame mm. up, up to the side of your home. So do you mean yeah. so that uh, when you've got tree canopy, canopy doesn't touch canopy? So there's Correct. a gap. There's, yeah, yeah. Now, um, you know, there's different, there's, there's deciduous trees which have more moisture in them, so they're going to be one step better than some native, native canopy trees. But, and, and so there's different characteristics of canopy, but even more from the ground, there's, there's limited ground fuels underneath the canopy. So by removing the branches through the lower and middle story, you might still have a little fire at ground level, yep. where you've got some, some low shrubs or whatever, um, ground, ground covers, but uh, the flames aren't high enough yep. to get into the top of the canopy. So yep. you're, sort of, you're breaking up where the flames are connecting. Um, that's... I think that's the most important thing with design is that, that distribution of fine fuels in the vegetation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And what about plant selection? Like you just saying then that deciduous trees, of course, have more moisture. Yep, um, yep. Particularly yep. in summer. Yep. I mean, in winter they're just like a dead stick. But yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. You, we don't get many fires in winter. Not, no, no. Not unless it's the, the one you're lighting down in your back paddock yeah, to toast your yeah. marshmallows on. That's right. Um, 
just so to look in and, <laughs> and wonder. Is there much information for people on plant selection? So there's the guidebook put out by the CFA in Victoria is the best guide and the best publication in the country. Mm-hmm. And what it does, it, it's a key. It's a system where you can key plants out and it asks you to look at the individual characteristics of the plants. So the, the first one is moisture content. So yep. plants full of moisture won't burn until the moisture is evaporated out of the plant. <laughs> and then they okay? just Okay, <laughs> and then they burn. So um, that's really interesting, Sab. The, I know in, on, a, on a podcast, we, this, it's Big not a visual thing. Stuff, but, but, but I've brought in a piece of um, pig face. Oh, yes. That's, yeah. That people would think very succulent, etc., etc. but... Parts of pig face, when they grow along, they leave dead yep. components behind. Yep. So there are flammable bits of plants that we think would never burn. So, um, hear that? Oh, <laughs> nice job! Let's go and do that again. Listen. Oh, oh hey. that. that's pig face. Yeah, that's yeah. clever. That. No. Oh, oh, I am. <laughs> you, just you Radio that? Queen. I like that. <laughs> But that's a good point because, of yeah, course, the pig yeah. face leaf is full of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So anything really – well, it's a bit like me. When you get old and dry, you get a bit brittle, you know. Yeah, Passes your arm. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if you get full of moisture, you might need to go to the bathroom like Jamie earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to going there myself soon. <laughs> get this man another glass of water. So after – after moisture content, you know, that, so that moisture content is most important. Yep. So you have to dry the plant out before you can burn it. Um, you know, oil content, you mm-hmm. know, good Australian plants are a lot of full of oil, yeah. so that uh, burns very well. Um, and, then, uh, and then the structure the structure of the plant too, so just what's the form of it, you know, and what at one end of the scale we'd have what, and, you know, an aloe tree or mm-hmm. a... Frangipani, yes. not a lot of fine fuels on those no. plants. <laughs> and at the other end, what would we have? You know, a native sticky, like there would be yeah, just as many, and many of them. Dry, yeah, yeah, just yeah, about, in, in fact, I'd say three quarters of Australian plant species. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, in a way, selecting plants or thinking about how that plant grows, mm. so, selecting it to, can, can you prune it to remove, you know, and maybe you can, maybe yep. you can't. yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I always think of the, um, you know, the grass tree as a plant that can be an absolute disaster if it's unmanaged. Yeah. It's just got a big dry skirt and you can light them up after 10 inches of rain in the middle of winter in the middle of a cyclone. Like, they'll burn yeah. no matter what. My God, they are... <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive. It is so impressive watching a grass tree go up. Um, yeah, I feel sorry for the lizards and things that may have been in there at the time, yeah. but... But there's been a lot of entertainment around setting grass trees. You've been to a few parties, Jamie. Where's the grass trees? Oh, once or twice. Oh, yeah. I tried to tell them not to, uh, <laughs> but through weight of numbers. You know, in a safe environment, in a property yeah, with not yeah. much around in the That's middle right. of winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah fireman yeah. standing next to you. Yeah, I think you were by me, Rowan, just, <laughs> just <laughs> overseeing things to make sure it was okay. <laughs> At least I thought it was you. <laughs> But but then, you know, if you see them for sale at the garden shows yes. where they're yep. all pruned up and they're yep. burnt off and they're worth a fortune. And, and so th- beautiful. And there's a plant, the same plant, yep. but it's completely treated differently. Yeah. You could have that right next to your kitchen window. Yep. So, yep. How, you know, how, how you manage and maintain, how... Um, 
how much enthusiasm and energy you have as yeah. a gardener, yeah. uh, it nearly beats everything. Because yeah. if you're always in your garden watering, pruning, remove, raking, you know, that, that's, that's 50% of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. N- none of it's a set and forget. No, no. That's a disaster. But that, yeah. but that goes for everything, not just it for does. fire safety. You don't want to be a... You don't want to be a gardener that doesn't attend their garden at all. That's criminal. Be bad right. stuff. You've got to think yeah. of your neighbours too, right? That's it's, that's exactly. kind of part of this. It's not just your place, but it's everyone around you. Sabrina's yeah. looking at you when she said that. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? Was that, what was something there we don't you, know about? You drive past my house? Or? <laughs> I'm sure you have a lovely garden, Jack. Uh, it's getting there. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's getting there. Well, we're moving soon. Oh, that's so, right, you are too. Yeah, I was telling you, I've got a bit of work to do at home. But we looked at a place recently that was a mass, it was 900 square metres. And I just saw nice. the garden. I thought, oh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is out of my league. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Hey, Ron, you, you've obviously been involved in this for a long time, but are you still learning about it? Are you still learning about how fire behaves here in Australia, about how the land behaves, how the vegetation behaves? Yeah, absolutely. And it's because there's a lot of ongoing research, research bodies, universities, uh, PhDs happening in the, in the tens or hundreds across the country in, in um, fire behaviour, human behaviour, which is really interesting. So how do people respond when there is a fire? Do they make good decisions? Because often around that fatalities area, it's it's... You know, it's probably less about is there leaves in my gutter and it's really has, have I made good decisions? So have I left, have I identified that there, there could be a threat and I've left when it was safe to drive out on the, you know, the country road? So that's a big push nowadays in the messaging from government. It's, um, I forget what the slogan is, but it's take five minutes to make some good decisions because you've got to, because that's the key for your survival on, the, on that day. Now, the, if you can't get out, then, you know, your house, your garden, your, your, uh, your pumps and water supply and your clothes, and then they're all, they're all preparation things that help, you know, help you lower your risk. But um, decision-making, decision a lot of research in that area because we tend, we tend to, we, the community, tends to um, wait and see, or they tend to just be doing things in preparation and then get surprised when the big fire arrives. Is that almost trying to blank out what's happening around you and making yourself feel like you're doing something? Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's this um, ongoing dilemma about is it, will it come here? Will it miss us? Where is it? I'm not real sure. Um, look, we'll pack the car just in case. But it's, it's, difficult it appears to be difficult for a lot of people to be really have a clear trigger so um my my do you think there's too much reliance on the you know there's apps and stuff and then you know there's there's every 15 minutes there's updates on on radio and things do you think there's a bit too much reliance on that rather than you know i'm here i can see it smell it yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah. they haven't told me over the phone yeah, that I have to yeah. leave yet? I, I, I think so. I think there's um, 
we even hear it with the towns in Queensland at the moment. Some were evacuated a couple of weeks ago, and then they the sort of people go back to town, and then they so but they they're waiting for advice all the time, mm. which in you know in a way creates people who sit around and won't respond until they get advice. So it's obviously a very uh, it's a difficult area to get to do well. So government, you know, you, people need to be self-reliant because the, if there's multiple fires and they're all moving across the landscape, the, the, the websites, the mobile phone messages, they just won't keep up. Mm-hmm. So people's ability to understand their environment, which way does the wind blow, does the wind change? I mean, they live there, they should know that after a number of years. If they're conscious of their local surrounds, then if a fire starts, where is it? Which way is the wind blowing? Could it threaten them or me, if it's me? Um, and if so, can I safely evacuate now while it's nice and comfortable? Seat belts are on, everyone's, you know, we just drive out. Got so the dog. Got the dog. First thing Cat, you get. The yeah. horse. Yeah. The what chooks. do people do with horses, though? It's tough, isn't it? Some, yeah, I've... Some horse groups up at Chittering there, they, they're well organised. Oh, They've got okay. their own groups and people, you know, say, well, bring them here. If it's there, bring them here. And so they, they're all talking to each other and Facebook groups and there's, there's all sorts of community groups helping each other. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Uh, so that must be, um, you know, a really proactive and great thing to do is to actually join a group. Yeah, um, yeah. And even and if, yep. especially if you're new and you don't know which direction the wind comes from. Or yeah, yeah. But it, yep. something you said a minute ago was about multiple fires because it's rarely just, very rarely, just one fire. There are, there's multiple fires yep. that... Yeah, And being able to know where all they are would be near on impossible yep. if you're yep. waiting yep. for phone alerts and stuff. So... Absolutely. I, th- I think this is... So having triggers and safer, safe places to go to already identified before the fire starts that are local to you, I think. You, mm-hmm. you don't want to say my safer place is a 10k drive through the bush yeah. over there because I know there's a footy ground or something. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's the, the nearest shopping centre or... Um, so I think we've got to try... Cemeteries. Cemeteries. I reckon yeah. cemeteries are really good places because there's not a lot of growth yep. around them. Yep. There's lots of growth underneath the soil, but not a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah, sort so of up top. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. true. Mm. Yeah. Town centres, beaches, um, yep. and and uh, you know, um, sort of unvegetated areas, which what might be a, a clay pan or one of the reservoirs if you're up in the hills. I mean, so there's. I think it's good to know where they are now before mm. a fire starts and, um, you know, if you're going to be uncomfortable for a while going somewhere, that's better than being facing the fire front head on um, without a good strategy. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. it's a uh, it's something you need to prepare for if you live in those areas, right? If you're in the hills or you're down south, it's just part and parcel there. But is it something you need to think about at all if you're living in the burbs in Perth? Is it is it something you can just completely delete from your mind? No, because if you've got teenage sons, I can tell you right now, and you go away, they are going to light a bonfire <laughs> in your house and they, the, the neighbours will certainly be a little bit worried, Jamie. Right. 
Kids. Kids love kids, kids uh, love lighting bonfires. The the um Look, the, f- the fire will run to the edge of suburbia, so if you're near the edge of bushland, then I think you need to consider Canberra would be the classic big bushfire in Canberra. It just ran out of the National Park through Pine Forest into suburbia mm. and burnt 500 homes. So um, there's there would be this perimeter zone, that, that urban interface, which is, yeah, you ignore it at your own risk. Yeah. Ember attack, um, pretty extreme. It's interesting, one about kids, because I've heard some stories recently about the Parkerville Stoneville fire mm-hmm. was during school holidays. Right. Here's, think about this, mum and dad work in the city. Yep. The kids are at home. Yeah. Unattended, or they've got granny there. No one can drive. <gasps> How's that for a scenario? Wow. Yeah, so, yeah. Your, you know, your plan needs to work under all those different yeah, scenarios. Yeah, the it's kids are on their own. Kids yeah, are on that's their a good own. point. Yeah, Just yeah. on the, the bonfire. Why you should teach them to drive at age six. <laughs> 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 but maybe hide the keys <laughs> until they need them, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How old were you when you started driving, Sab? <laughs> Probably about six. Six, six and a half? Yeah. Well, I, well, Dad had to do the pedals for me. I couldn't reach them. But if you grow up in the country, you... You used to sit beside him and steer yep. and that? Yeah, yep. yeah. Dad used to yep. put me on the lap. Is that bad? Oh, right. no, in the country? No, that's safer. When I was young, probably <laughs> six or seven, I don't that's know. probably the first version of the airbag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying to protect himself. <laughs> human airbag. <laughs> that yeah. sounds like him. <laughs> Use one of your expendable kids. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, nice. it all ended up being okay, so I didn't have to have another one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Good on him. Here I was thinking he was trying to touch me. (laughs) 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 That's good stuff. Oh, dear. So so it's not all gloom and doom. I mean, obviously, you can... Every individual can do something to make the risk so much less. It's doom and gloom if you put your head in the sand, I reckon. Mm. Well, it's Mm. it's people will continue to be shocked. Unless, um, like a lot of these things, isn't it? Like I sometimes think of mental illness. We used to not talk about that. Yep. Of, so, you know, by, by discussing these issues, we invite people to participate yep. in understanding their risk and participate in their own solutions. Yeah. Because we will, we will always struggle if we always think government has all the solutions and I just respond to whatever they say, mm. you know. Um, a Fortunate Life, a book, you know, yes. written, I mean, yeah. if you go back to that, those, those, that period of time, people who lived on the frontier and cleared the land and, you know, weren't always doing great things, but they, they didn't rely on government to, no. they were totally, so we've sort of gone from that system, which yeah. I'm sure we don't want to go back to, but we've tilted, maybe pivoted a bit too far where we, we expect more help than what will come in a big Emergency. Emergency. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So shared responsibility. I'm not saying I have the right definition here, but don't go and live in the bush and st- and expect everyone else to you know make Look decisions to do it for, for you. you. Yeah. yeah, I think reach out. There's you know there are there are people that'll help you at local governments. There are people that'll help you in the private industry. So there's there's people around. Join a group. Yeah, I think you know, that's really wise. Join your brigade. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If if you want to find out where fires are when they start, you join the brigade because yep. you get the message through the mobile phone a couple of seconds yep. after the triple O call goes, and that's uh, apart from 
participating and in a the bloody good and sausage sizzle. I believe they make a good <laughs> sausage sizzle. Oh, they would. There's no shortage of good tucker. No, in the local <laughs> in the brigade. Um, so it's networks, you know, yeah. like local networks, and yeah. Just on that, have yeah. you noticed it? a change in behaviour of late where I feel like we've always got bad ones happening but over the last few years it's easy to remember Parkerville, Stonefield, Yarloop, fires like that. Have you noticed a change in behaviour over those last kind of four well, years since those very, um, you know, tragic fires? Human behaviour, Jamie? Um, I, not necessarily because I think there's these peaks and troughs. There's always media attention during an event so there's increased public uh, understanding and concern I think it drops off I, I don't really know the time frame but we forget pretty quick yeah I think so I think you know it depends whether you were directly involved with it and I think it stays with you a bit longer then and might stay mm. with you for your life if you're not I, I think there's a sometimes there's this perception that it was a TV event I mean if you something I observed on the TV and went mm. oh wow look at that's it's terrible and whatever whatever mm. but that won't happen here or I haven't thought that that could happen here. Yeah. So I stand in my... It's funny because I stand in my front yard with my kids and, and wife and, and I sort of... We talk about this could happen. This is Australia, you know. Mm. This could happen. So, And it's not to be frightened of and this is what we do when it does happen. So that I think in a way when... We talk in this sort of language. When the big fire comes, we'll do this, this, this and this. Now, and you kids will learn to drive now. <laughs> you are not an airbag. <laughs> My two girls are too big to be airbags now. I've tried. I've tried them. <laughs> but that's roads. that's good to actually have that conversation as ah, a whole family. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, they, we've got a big plan, and they mark on. We get information where the fire is. They mark it on the aerial photo. They go outside and I say, which way is the wind blowing? And they'll go there, look at the trees for a couple of minutes, do a big arrow, predict which way the fire's going. Could could that threaten us, that scenario? Yes, no, maybe. And, you know, actually, it's, we're really comfortable. Just It's a normal thing to do. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's sort of making it normal get up yeah. in the morning how hot's it going to be what's the fire danger rating i yeah. reckon that's a key question in summer what's the fire danger rating because that tells you about potential intensity of a fire how big and destructive and then if one starts a couple of things you know where is it could it threaten us could it threaten us if the answer is yes and you don't want to be there i reckon that's the trigger to go and not panic that but that's the trigger to say we're just going you know all the vehicles in the car Dog, yeah, chickens. <laughs> that, That's um, interesting. I'd that like to see, see my dog in a car with chickens. I know what it, all that'll be left. Yeah, <laughs> a flurry of feathers. But that's the thing you mentioned that about taking away the fear factor. Yeah. So yeah, if you discuss yeah. it, yeah. and you know your kids will have a, a a much better understanding of what that whole thing means. The whole fire. There's a fire coming means and the fact that they feel that they have control over what they can do because they have a plan in place yeah, and yeah. because you've talked yeah. about not yeah. if but yeah. when, when when a when. big fire comes yeah. through yeah. rather yeah. than if yeah i think i think because when it does you you're not going oh sh i've yeah. never thought of this you've yeah. gone oh 
I knew it could happen and yep. it's happening. Yeah. And this is what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Marvellous. I hope more people take that up. I hope you've inspired people to actually sit down and do that because I don't uh, think a lot of people do. You know, I, I, it's funny because I think all the surveys over 20 years, I think you're asking about what level of pre- preparation there is in the community. There's been pretty consistent breakdowns, I think, that, and I forget the numbers, but 10% are super prepared. Yeah. And have plans and everything, you know, monitoring systems, whatever. They've got satellite coverage of... So they're... But, but um, then there's this big group in the middle who say they've got a plan, but you know what? It's just in someone's head. Yeah. Mm. And they're probably working in the city. Yeah. When the fire comes through and other people are at home. So, they, yeah. so the plan is not there. And that's probably the biggest group. And then there'll be the... There's a group that sort of deny they're at threat. And so... So... The big picture is the community's really vulnerable and um, I don't think that changes a lot. More, more media coverage is interesting because sometimes it can, can it be saturation and we start to turn off? I don't know. I don't know. But, um, you know, these events now have been going for a few weeks and they were back in September. Um, there's a balance, isn't there, about sort of crying wolf, I think. True. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's human psychology, that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's about 10 episodes. <laughs> yeah, actually. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> Next season, coming to you. Well, Rowan, thank you very much. That's been a very practical uh, sort of per- perspective of what you can what you can do. Yeah. Rather than just go, holy shit. Um, say it with less fear and more organisational yeah, skill yeah. to it. Thanks, Sab. I'd better go and check out your bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm. I'll see you there. If I may. Hi, it's Sabrina Hahn, and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA, who make very high-grade premium calcium bentonite clay which is a hundred percent west australian owned and operated so uh you only need a very small amount three to six percent in your garden bed it's all through my garden bed so check them out bentonitewa.com.au